0: This is the Evan York podcast. Sweet. What does this pay?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Go ahead. Our conversation the other day was good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. The heaven conversation. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk more about that. Okay. I think about it a lot. I mean, I think um, how how personal should we be in this? We can be personal. And if there's things that you don't want in it, we can just cut it out.
0: I think um, traditional depictions of, of eternal life are probably—this uh, is just speaking within the Christian tradition. I, I suspect that they're—well, uh, they're boring. They, say, they seem more boring than I suspect it, it would actually be. Uh, but also, I mean, if we take it as, you know, the fulfillment of your natural desires, that God hasn't created a species that's meant to be frustrated— that that has desires to which nothing actually corresponds which seems rather sadistic and i think i have good reasons for thinking he that god is not sadistic um very good reasons and uh so uh that god has put in us desires that he means he intends to pay off and uh Hmm. yeah i you know and so i think about it i think about it a a decent amount, you know. So, if we have uh, physical senses here right now, if we take it, if we take it as a sort of a, a axiomatic assumption here that uh, that God's that part of the reason that the Jews and Christians always believed in a bodily resurrection was that God wasn't going to lose some victory to sin. You know, his he designed humans to be a certain way. Uh, to be material, and that um, that sin isn't ultimately going to win some victory against him and and change his design to something utterly different, you know. And so, uh, you know, in the Jewish reckoning, uh, the the afterlife was always a bodily thing, you know. Uh, though there may be a disembodied state in the meantime, but there was there would be a you know, a final general bodily resurrection at the end of the world, and I take it, you know that we would still be able to see, we'd still be able to smell, we'd still be able to hear and taste and feel things. And that, uh, that, that paradigm that, I mean, that model of what it means to be a human body wouldn't just be out the window and we would be something utterly different, you know? Um, and maybe even those senses have better, higher capacities, you know, maybe like the way Eagles see better than us or dogs smell better than us. So, yeah. So, so I don't know. I, I take it that that in your resurrected body, you will be maximally, your your sense of smell will be maximally satiated. Your sense of hearing will be maximally satiated. Your your desire to see something beautiful will be maximally satiated. And your desire to feel something beautiful will be maximally satiated. Basically, all the things that sin promises and... Uh, doesn't make good on Uh, God offers us those exact things you know and uh, but but, and I I think though that type of depiction is important to people with more modern sensibilities but also maybe in an era where there maybe is just more addiction Mm -hmm. and to people who may be struggling with different types of addictions it's not those traditional depictions of the afterlife look awfully boring and, mm-hmm. and not fulfilling. And, uh, and I think they're just downright inaccurate on those grounds. You know, I think what mm-hmm. we're prompt, like, like I told my kids forever and ever ago, was, uh, I take the afterlife. I think I take eternal life with God as being like riding a roller coaster while eating the, eating cotton candy and someone's telling you the funniest joke you've ever heard. It's Hmm. maximal, uh, maximal fulfillment of all of your senses, including your intellect. Um, and you know, something I thought of last night, and because I do think about this quite a bit is, uh, you know, at psychological betterment, getting, becoming a better person comes with that seems to come greater happiness, you know, just in this life, Becoming a less crappy person uh, makes someone happier. I mean, I can speak from experience, you know, and really working, um, becoming someone different over the past few years. It's not uh, it's the fruit of that has been, you know, just a much greater happiness
2: Hmm.
0: all the time. And uh, and I was thinking about how, you know, upon death, if all of a sudden all of my mental crap is just fixed And I'm just a functional person who really understands love and feels valuable and doesn't carry certain mental and psychological emotional scars anymore. If all of a sudden, all at once that's fixed and everyone around me has that same exact issue, uh, has that same phenomenon happen. All of a sudden, everyone around me is, is has all of their mental emotional psychological scarring dealt with then uh i can't even imagine what kind of a close intimate community that must be that you're surrounded by billions of people who are capable of great personal intimacy with one another Hmm. and uh i that sounds pretty appealing to me
1: more appealing than a cloud and a harp i don't even play harp (laughs) Well, one of the things, or two Doesn't things that, hard, two things that, I don't think it's that hard. Hey, I it doubt it. Be. I don't know. It looks expensive, <laughs> but not the ones the little angels had. Those look cheap. Two things that stuck out to me the other day when you said them were the idea that the traditional views of heaven are sometimes rather boring. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought that, like, and I've always thought or felt a little bit guilty for thinking that. Right. Like right. growing up in Christian school and being uh-huh. in the church, like always thinking, man, I should definitely be more excited about heaven. Right. And like the idea of the afterlife, but I'm just uh-huh. not like how right. can it be any better than this mm-hmm. or like how can there be more interesting experiences than here? Right. So that was one thing. And then you're like the way that you tied it to like the greatest physical experiences that we can have here on earth mm-hmm. times a million and permanent and permanent forever. Right. Might yeah. be some taste of a picture of what heaven is. Yeah.
0: I think it's it's as if God didn't create pleasures down here uh, out of sheer creativity that maybe... So like the Reformers and Calvin and Augustine as well, way earlier, talk about nature being the mirror of God's glory or the theater of his glory, things like that. And and I'm not always so sure they... And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I haven't read them. They're much smarter people than I am. But um, that I take that mirroring to be rather uh literal and robust, well, not literal, it's not a mirror but but in that it's what we're really tasting as a foretaste of 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 a rather identical mode of enjoying God that we'll have, you know, mm. so again, our senses um, and that you know God doesn't offer us I mean I'm I think this is right. I don't think God offers us something categorically, utterly different. Although he may also offer us this, but categorically, utterly different than what the world, than all the things the world holds out, out to us. And, and that includes what sin holds out to us. Uh, that this I, I want to be careful in my wording here, but um, uh, when sin offers us Uh, a sort of mirage of intimacy or physical pleasure or um, feeling valuable, things like that, that those are the exact things that God offers us anyway. He just offers them to us uh, in an unspoiled way, uh, in a way that is permanent. And I'm convinced this would probably be rather quite a bit more intense. So Mm.
1: uh, I think you could go, and without the it's, negatives that mm-hmm. those things carry on Earth, exactly. Without the potential of destroying your family, for example. Yeah.
0: Right. Which that's what they do. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what they do. I mean, they may do it little by little, but even even private sin. I mean, I think. Uh, I mean these are these are themes that permeate my lyrics. Uh, in the on the new album, there one of the songs starts with. Sin is never private, nor a spectacle. Watch me radiate disorder to the world. Uh, the idea being there's no such thing as private sin. if any sin I commit in private changes me into some, someone I shouldn't be into something I shouldn't be, uh, sin makes us like it in both senses. I mean, it turns our affections toward it, but it also, uh, reforms us into something more like it. And, uh, and destabilizes my relationships it turns me into something um someone who is less capable of 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 uh who is not as good a father not as good a husband not as good of of whatever of a friend because I'm someone I shouldn't be you know so and again going back to that intimacy if all of a sudden I were a community in a community of billions of people With none of that, I just can't imagine that the closeness of that community. It must be, it sounds like exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah. I mean, that's actually pretty good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I feel like that, I mean, that, that's one of my driving forces in all of the world. And I think it's offered. I think that's exactly what's offered to us. Yeah.
1: But do you use like the view of eternity and like what that promises? To, like, get yourself through a lot of things on earth. Does that make sense? Yes. And yes, I don't know how effectively. Um,
0: but yeah, it's it's almost as if, so so getting through sin, for example. um, It almost changes the offer of sin, the answer to the offer of sin, from no thanks, I don't want any part of it, to yes, in fact, I'll take that but I'm going to take it in its purest, most permanent form, which means I need to wait right now. Hmm. And uh, because what you're offering me, sin, I'm not going to get anyway. It's I, 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 I've done research on this. Uh, The kind of research like where a a, a weatherman might tie himself to a pole or something during (laughs) a a hurricane. It's that sort of field research on (laughs) sin. And it's, uh, it never pans out. It never has, you know, and that's, uh, that's, what fantastic boom has largely been about so far it's and the way this new album ends is exactly on this issue it's got a surprise or two down the stretch but um where having experienced everything i could get my hands on on this earth um and not being happy still with any of it uh it's it's like the conclusion is pretty inescapable. Like Solomon talks about, uh, and like one of my heroes, Blaise Pascal talks about, about, um, essentially there again, just aren't the means to fulfill your desires here on earth. The, the material doesn't exist. Uh, and, um, and therefore, unless, you know, we're, the objects of some sadistic creator or of of accident and chance which i think have great grounds for thinking is not the case uh, neither of those is the case um that uh that you know that, that there is something else to love out there something else is promised to us and 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 that's more or less exactly the that's very similar to the final lyrics on this this new thing hmm. Were you gonna even talk? Uh, were you gonna talk about Fantastic Boom? Yeah, at all? We'll I'm. There. I'm just shoehorning it in. No, I have an album coming out, <laughs> so uh, I don't know when yet. But you can pay for it, money, or you can stream it like cheap people. <laughs> LimeWire. <sighs> yeah, you could. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I only did Napster back in the day, but yeah, that was revolutionary.
1: Yeah. So talk about your album for a minute. So Fantastic Boom. is yeah. Your band. Yeah, and you. uh, How many years ago did you release the first album?
0: Twenty nineteen. So okay, however many that is. So twenty nineteen. When is this coming? Is this how long does it take you to edit these? Less than a week. So seven years ago. ago. Sorry, (laughs) I don't know
1: if you're if you procrastinate
0: a lot or not. So I'll get to it before then. Okay. okay. Yeah, I mean it's very much the. I intend it as the unification of everything I want to do musically and everything I want to talk about. So I, I think, I, I think it's true to say these are thing. Many of them are songs that songs have not been about before,
2: hmm.
0: which, I mean, I love new music. I listen to more new music than old music, uh, but it's still mostly a bunch of love songs. As much as I love so much of it, I, I feel like lyrically it's, uh just the entire art is so homogenized and hmm. uh at the very least I wanted to do something different and so to make it utterly autobiographical hmm. which has that st- that ends up making them nearly concept albums, like like but not as cheesy as a concept album at least. I mean uh, most concept albums feel really cheesy to me, but um but if they're utterly autobiographical then they're by definition concept albums and and they're just probably nerdy little things about you know about things i wanted to talk about anyway things i would be talking
1: about yeah was that someone were to was put me it, on a podcast or something. was it tough to do that like to put that out there like knowing that even though some of these lyrics are veiled like there is still a lot that people are going to know about me now and by the way i yeah. should say so mark and i met in when i was in sixth grade I started taking guitar lessons from you. Yep. And we, I mean, I took lessons from you up until I graduated high school, Yep. which is crazy. <clears throat> and then we've just remained great friends yep. ever since. Yep. yep. And, uh, and then you came out with your album back in 2019, which was amazing. And you Thank sing you. on it, which was really exciting.
0: It was terrifying.
1: But now you're here and now you're doing it again.
0: Now I don't think about the singing thing, but I also don't think about the the... The vulnerability thing anymore and mm. that was that's one of the things I noticed about uh, I think why I can look at this new album and 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 I know that this probably just means my taste sucks and uh, you know I just made something really idiosyncratic that nobody nobody else is gonna like but why I can listen to every single second and be positive. It's exactly right. Now it took, it takes years to get there. It's, it's the stubbornness of I'm willing for it to not be done until I think it's exactly right. Um, But at the end of it, yeah, it's like this, these are, this is the way I talk. These are the things I really, if I were trying to, you know, if I were trying to write journal articles or something, Trying to get published. These are the things I would want to talk about, and uh, and the vulnerability was it was hard. I think you. I th- there's there's a moment at the end of the first album where I'm talking about that notion that we talked about earlier, where uh, God offers us the much better form of what sin offers us. the The last song. That's what it's about. And um, I down the stretch. At the, at the very end, I say, I, say uh, I basically, I refer to the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says, uh, one of the questions, and it's in question and answer form, and one of the questions is, what is the chief end of humans? Chief end. It's not a common term. Um, but, uh, and the answer is, the chief end of humans is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And John Piper's whole ministry sounds like that. If you're mm-hmm. familiar with him, yeah, very. And uh, and it's it's a weird moment because it summarizes it summarizes everything I've been talking about. It summarizes the album. I think it summarizes. I, I think if if anything, it's maybe the defining theological claim of my thinking career. Um, but also, I mumble the F word while while referring to the Westminster shorter catechism it's just this it's i think it's a, a strange like i mean I, I i actually wouldn't say that word you know what i mean i it's i it's not something i would do uh on, on an album for you know i don't i don't but the mumbling of it the the struggling toward that conclusion the it's it it feels exactly right to me and uh it feels like someone who has learned these lessons the really hard way you know Mm -hmm. and uh um yeah it's i I think it's a a fairly robust theology but uh it hasn't come easy and uh that lack of easiness i've learned to be pretty upfront about lyrically and in conversation you know here's here's what i'm bad at here's Mm. how i'm bad things like that you know what's your favorite
1: song on that album
0: that one the last one okay yeah and no one else's favorite (laughs) it it's i mean it's really not it's it's but it's my favorite it's
1: absolutely my favorite is that interesting because like i sent you the my two favorite songs from Uh a new album that you shared with me Uh and you were surprised yeah because like you thought that another song was going to be everyone's favorite but it's like two other Mm -hmm. ones that you didn't really think about has that been interesting to see
0: it is interesting um and
1: as a corollary of that total
0: vulnerability that total openness there is also a okay screw what everybody thinks you know there's a not a rejection it's a a, there's a resignation to what everybody thinks but I'm I'm still gonna proceed the way I want it to go you know and and I think there's something about doing an artistic career that that way that that I you know I I think waiting till I'm now 112 years old, and uh, waiting until you know having a, this musical career that led up to starting Fantastic Boom mm-hmm. that that didn't involve me putting out albums on my own, just doing stuff for other people, and uh, I don't think I could have made a discography like this early on. I think when you're when you're trying to have and trying to become something and appear as something and stuff that those things really work against art. And there's gotta be a certain bit of uh, forget everybody. If, if you're going to achieve Bjorkness, you know what I mean? Mm. Bjork, people love Bjork because she does not care what you think. Mm -hmm. And, and and at the end of the day, the best art has to be that it has to be that. It's rejecting what your fans say they want. Now, I don't have fans, but but if I did, I feel like that's what I would. I don't. Know. Who knows if I. You really have think. fans, but the, but like, I mean, a textbook example was after OK Computer, Radiohead was going to be the next U two. They were going to be the kings of the rock world, and then they decided to just not make that album. The the throne is sitting there empty. Everybody knows it's Radiohead's to take. Everybody openly talks about it cuz OK Computer is this triumph and it's the new rock. It's the way that rock is going to sound for the next 20 years as far as anybody knew. And Radiohead's next album came out and there's not even a guitar on it for that you can really recognize as a guitar for a good number of tracks. I mean uh yeah. And it's just that stay not even staying ahead of one's audience, just that lack of concern. It's like what your audience really wants, I think, or the audience I'm looking I would be looking for is ones uh, are people who would be drawn to someone doing exactly what it is that they think is right, you know. Mm. And uh, artistically right and what and whatever, so. Yeah. I'd rather be the the Bjork style artist with no fans, virtually no fans, you know?
1: Well, I was going to ask, like, would you rather have people be fans of the music because they like the music or would you rather have them be fans because they are attached to the words and the meaning and they, they have some kind of relationship to what you're saying? Like they relate to it.
0: The latter. If I had
1: to choose, I, I really, I feel like it's,
0: it's a, as much as I can make it a very unified statement um, that the music is saying the same things as the words and the out and ultimately any given song you compare down to one thesis and the album you compare down to one thesis Mm. and um, the um, but Ultimately, it's about the lyrics for me, which is strange. I mean, to even say out loud because I never thought that way, but I just I don't want to be an entertainer. I don't want to entertain people. I don't want that to be my life. I want Mm. to be more like a Blaise Pascal who sits you down in front of your situation and points to this dying rock that you're on Mm. this and with this dying sun, with uh, and everyone around you is going to die and it's going to happen sooner than you think. And stuff sucks. Unless God is putting this, in anti-rights terms, this saddled world back together, hmm. and I think uh, on Easter weekend, I think uh, there's a sort of demonstration that actually that's the program, and so I want the music to point to that, which is you have an you have a major existential problem here. You'd better do something about it. You'd better look around to see if something's. Been done about it, you know. And, yeah. Um, so yeah, I I would forego the rest. You know, if if poetry were the way to for my life to serve that purpose, I would I would do poetry or mm. beatboxing. If I could beatbox it,
1: that'd be the, that'd be awesome. You could. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, I think that's beautiful because I think uh, like you look at the world right now, and I I never can tell like how much is actually happening and falling apart versus the like. I'm always trying to be very careful about the lens in which I'm looking at the world through sure like am I reading it through some news or like is there a megaphone that I'm listening to that maybe doesn't exist right right um, that's making the problem worse than it exists and I think like you talked about you know Easter weekend I, I don't know I have yet to figure out just going through difficult things as a person. Over the years, like how could you reconcile that stuff if you didn't have some kind of higher power to look to, right? To make sense of it, right? You know, and I think that that would be very scary. And like I, yeah, I obviously know a lot of people that live that way. Yep. And I've you know met a lot of people that are in really bad health situations or dying from cancer or whatever, and and they don't have faith or a desire that they speak about, at least, to um, have some kind of greater meaning. And I just, I don't understand how you could do that. This is actually
0: something I've been thinking about lately. Growing up in a church Mm. is a grace that I didn't recognize at the time, you know, that, that I'm in a community of people who do have hope and i think in particular in the christian church is a very well grounded hope um and uh the uh that outlook on events around me and events in my own life is probably invaluable it's probably way more to credit for any given optimism i have than than I ever even realized, you know, and I, I think it also, I mean, it's a culture thing, you know, it's if you're in a culture of people who are being redeemed, then that probably has ramifications through your life that you couldn't possibly even recognize as
1: as they're happening. And, mm. and I think, I think that's exactly right. I think that's, I think that's exactly right. So I found this interesting. So I grew up in Christian school, always going to church. And I've talked about this with all of my friends that I'm still good friends with from school Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, being in Bible classes and chapel services at school, no one actually ever taught us how to have a relationship with God. Isn't that interesting? Like no, no one actually said, here's how you actually walk with God on a daily basis. How I've come to learn that for me, at least is just opening the Bible Mm -hmm. reading, which makes sense. Like learning about someone or something draws you closer to them. Um, and then through a lot of prayer, like considering him in the decisions that I'm making just throughout the day, right. even if they seem small, being in such a concentration of Christian people in school and no one was ever like, okay, here's how you actually have a personal relationship with God.
0: Let's make it even more interesting because I feel like my growing up in the church and part at, at some point going to a Christian school as well in Memphis, um, I feel like I had the opposite hmm. experience and yet became somewhat resentful of some of the content of some of it to the point where it's, it was legalistic. Mm-hmm. But more than that, a very great emphasis on, quote unquote,
1: hearing God's voice. And then you feel guilty that you maybe don't experience that in the paralyzed, way that they it. Paralyzed,
0: not guilty, but also paralyzed in making any decision. And, but, and it was such an emphasis. And it it took years later, you know, thinking, okay, who talks about this in the New Testament? Who talks about, who says, okay, here's how you hear God's voice. And I'm not sure anybody mentions it. I mean, there, there are references, you know, to, to things that sound like they could be similar. So Jesus saying, my sheep hear my voice. The reason you don't hear it is because you're not one of my sheep. Uh, I think in that passage, it's clearly talking about evangelism. It's clearly talking about hearing the gospel and responding or not, not some day to day thing. God, should I take this job? Should I marry this girl? Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's not like that. And, and I don't see them ever bringing it up for something that's supposed to be so vitally important. And it was this sort of bondage making theology for me that, Starting to shed it led to what what do you know me being able to make decisions and move forward on things and and without guilt and um God seems what 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 the New Testament writers do seem, and the Old testament writers seem positively obsessed with is who you are and how you are, but not at all what job you're supposed to take and things like that they they don't stop and talk about here's how you make the right decisions. Here's how you know God's will for your life in balancing your checkbook or whatever mm-hmm. like that. It's not that. They spend chapters each talking about, well, like the way Paul does it is, uh, you know, he talks about here's who Jesus is and what he's done. And then at the end, he does some, you know, although it's also throughout, but he does some, ram- some ethical ramifications of that. But none of them is... You know, you need to have a quiet time and hear God's voice and listen. Mm-hmm. It's and it's a two way conversation. Blah blah blah. And All these things. Where did that come from? I don't know. I mean, th- there's always been a sort of mystical element uh, to in Christianity. I mean, the, there were mystical movements within Catholicism, but I wouldn't at all think that Protestants got it from that. Protestants. I mean, by the time Protestantism got to me, by the time I came around um man the protestantism in which i was grown was utterly divorced from its its heritage its right. intellectual heritage which i mean is a is a shame is an absolute shame i think uh christianity is arguably the greatest intellectual tradition in the history of the world i mean i, I think that case can be made very very effectively and uh so one of the tragedies of protestantism and i suspect especially american protestantism or, or at least wings of it evangelicalism has been that sort of rejection of all of the brilliant people that came before us you know and just starting over and and folk theologies arise out of that you know things you, you see it you see it everywhere anyway i mean it does even if we were to retain our you know to be utterly plugged in with the past there would still be Americanness and mm-hmm. 21st century americanness in our theology that would need the witness and the other opinions of you know of 17th century ethiopians you know i mean they are going to see things a little differently and and it'd be nice to know what theirs is as a corrective to mine and vice versa you know i'm probably mm-hmm. right about some stuff that they're wrong about and um There was a book in the 1900s, uh, in the 90s, Um, (laughs) 1992. It's a book called The Global God, and uh, it actually, it's by two Wheaton professors, or at the time, they were professors at Wheaton. And it was about theological, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Basically, theological uh, idiosyncrasies of different people around the world mm. currently. So in this culture, God is portrayed primarily as the following. Right. In this culture, God is portrayed primarily as the following. I think you can absolutely see that just within the American church. I mean, the-
1: Absolutely.
0: Well-to-do white Protestantism has a certain uh, emphasis in what God's up to and what God is intends to do in your life mm-hmm. and, uh, and black Protestantism very often has a, a rather diff- different type of emphasis, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and so you extrapolate that across 20 centuries, uh, of Christian history and many, many different cultures, you know, geographical, uh, locations, but as well, just cultures within those locations. You mm. know, it's just, uh, I, um, suspect we could really use each other you know and and one of the real tragedies of certainly my form of protestantism was not knowing what the crap anybody in the past had ever said Hmm. it's it's a a rather tragic type
1: of anti-intellectualism i think theological anti-intellectualism of all things so back to the the point about um talking to god through like every little decision Mm -hmm. I do see that there are definitely people who that becomes like a a legalistic shaming act Mm -hmm. with people in the church. Right. It's like if you don't have your quote unquote quiet time or you're not talking to God about balancing your checkbook Mm -hmm. or you haven't heard from God about what um, college your kid is going to go to or something like that. There's a level of like, oh, well, maybe you're not doing it right. Yeah. What do you think about that? Do you think that that exists? Oh, it exists.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I It, it was a really difficult thing for me to come out of. I mean, it, per, just speaking just completely personally, because I, at the time when I started coming out of it, I wasn't in circles. Uh, I don't know that there were circles. I mean, there, there, there were, I'm sure, but they were probably circles that just never got caught up in that type of theology to begin with Mm. but I didn't have anyone around me or nor was I listening or reading anyone saying that hey this is this is a sort of uh, theological extravagance that isn't necessarily true and Mm. shouldn't be a guide for your life there was nobody saying that and I was hearing the opposite and it took The first couple of people whom I really respected, I respected the crap out of them, realizing they already held that exact, more or less that exact position that that God already told you, you know, he gave you details about how to pick a mate, you know, to be Mm. someone with the following characteristics. And, and aside from that, you know, pray for wisdom and go do it. Hmm. Okay you know and and hearing them say that was this just felt like this radical confirmation of okay yes i'm i already was so suspicious that this is that this was the truth and uh hearing these people whom i really looked up to um jeff there's a, a historian a church historian named jeff bingham uh it was when he made that case to someone who had asked a similar question um, when he told them more or less what I just said about marrying his wife. And he did so in a very funny way. Um, I mean, that, that moment in particular was this, uh, I cast my lot with Jeff Bingham, you know, I mean the fact that I already thought this, I, I, I just can't imagine him being wrong about it. You know, whatever the weakness of my personal, you know, uh, way of reasoning was at the time, you know, I, I needed that. I needed Mm. to see somebody, but because all the voices behind me were saying the opposite, you know, Mm. yeah. Growing up in a Baptist church where it was just God hearing God's voice, hearing God's voice. You got to pray and listen to God, listen to God, listen to God. Uh, you know, it was, it was, they, nobody intended it as damaging. It's mm-hmm. just, I, I think theological error just doesn't leave, and this is another Jeff Bingham point, uh, it doesn't leave any part of your life unscathed. Hmm. It's, it's the one thing that when you're wrong about, it affects everything. Hmm.
1: Everything. Your faith.
0: Yes. If you believe an error about God, the chances of it not working its way out into some other or every other aspect of your life pretty slum. Hmm. If, if not, if, if it may be that there is no error that, that, that has no
1: pragmatic ramifications, you know? Yeah. So, hmm. so I want to know what was the, back in 2019, um, when you decided to release that album before that, when you decided to write that album mm-hmm. and put in a lot of your personal experiences and things like what we're talking about, like what was that decision like? When did you decide? Okay, I'm gonna because you've been thinking about doing an album for a long time.
0: Yeah, but but also, I mean, the problem is it was like a nine year journey of making a bunch of huge decisions. So who's mm-hmm. gonna sing? Who you know? the The initial deci- decision was to make an instrumental album. Mm-hmm. And then there was a beach house album I was listening to, uh, that I just, I mean, I'd heard it a bunch of times before, but when I put it on and just felt this, oh yeah, there's the stuff, you know, this Mm -hmm. flood of dopamine or whatever, whatever it was. And just the recognition, this is what I want to do. This is, you know, but then not being a lyricist at all Hmm. and hiring, you know, I worked with, uh, a girl who's now in m83 of all things wow on a song i sent her a, a tune and was like here could you write lyrics to this she sent it back and and it wasn't it wasn't a fit but i think that was my fault i think the music was too wasn't there yet and uh wasn't what i was looking for and um so over time deciding okay wait i can do this i can do lyrics and wait a minute what if i just made them idiosyncratically me
2: hmm
0: And pretty early on recognizing, I think that is the ticket. Even if they suck, that's what they should be. Rather than, you know, pretending to be anything or or writing something generic. At at the very least, write something unique. Do, you know, otherwise don't do art. Go deliver pizzas, sell copiers, whatever. It's it's not really the same. If I were going to be, if I were trying to be Maroon 5, uh, you don't know maroon five do you of course it's the name of a guy right um yeah (laughs) i you know if i if i were what's the i don't see the point of doing art
1: if i were yeah sorry i'm thinking about you selling copiers would you enjoy a sales job i have no idea my dad my dad is
0: has his whole career was as a salesman he's still alive he's just not a salesman anymore um uh he uh and then my son, I totally see it in him. My son is this, uh, my oldest son. He is, he's 16, but you see it. Uh, he's, he's just so driven and has a business mind. And that completely skipped me. I have philosophy mind and, and art mind for whatever reason. And no, I I don't think I, I, I think it, it would depend on what I'm selling. If I'm selling mm-hmm. something I thought was important, then yeah, I think, I, could, I think I could probably do it. Uh. I can convince people, uh, but, but it's only because, but I, but I couldn't sit there and convince you of, I wouldn't try to convince somebody for sport of something I didn't think were true. You know, you can tell I didn't do debate club or whatever. But,
1: um, uh, Yeah, I, I, it would have to be something important, but like, you could definitely convince somebody about theological views. Sure. Or... Sure something musical yeah i just don't
0: you can't attach a upc code to it or whatever you can't slide it through the square reader or whatever yeah that analogy made no sense i'm aware of that
1: (laughs) you've probably sold a lot of guitars though for a lot of guys
0: yep yep i i I think that's true and little pedals and stuff you know yeah that's through wankery just playing something
1: and sorry it's probably not a good (laughs) term i'm not british as long as the brits don't hear it they're fine yeah so, are you still, um, are you instructing still? A little bit, not
0: as much. I, I'm fortunate enough to have a good number of gigs that are, that aren't dues pay ish. Yeah. And, uh, and they're, they're good. They're really good gigs. And so I supplement that with some teaching. Um, and yeah, but I, I, it all feels day job ish. Um, except for, I mean, the teaching doesn't necessarily feel that it's, it's weird accumulating a bunch of basically little siblings like, like yourself. I mean, I think of you as sort of a little brother, you know, it's like, it's a weird blessing of this job Mm. that was just a job. I'm going to go teach some people to play guitar and over time, uh, getting, you know, watching people grow into young adults and, and, uh, and getting to still be close with some of them, you know, it's like, yeah. it's really prof- profound. I mean, it's really been amazing.
1: I like when people talk about using your profession as your ministry. Yeah. Like you don't have to be in full-time ministry to have a ministry. Like most people aren't in full-time ministry. Right, right, right. So like use the field that you're in as your ministry. And I think that's totally what you've done. With. Do you
0: think it carries more clout that way? Like if you sit on a plane next to a preacher or whatever it's it's do you bracket that as someone who's wouldn't speak with the same authority as a dude who whom you met i mean I'm really just asking i mean do you think, I don't think so, yeah,
1: no, well, I mean, especially like like to be honest, it's not like I cross paths or spend a lot of time with people who are in full time ministry right. So like most of the learning that I receive always comes from people that are in a field that I'm trying to advance in or something, right? Right. So like if there's somebody in the case of playing guitar, you were the guy that was leading that field for me and still leading that, that charge. So it's like, it's, it's interesting because it's,
0: well, it's interesting because the guitar itself, I have, I just don't have a passion for it anymore. Really? Yeah. It's, it's really strange. It's, it's, I, it's okay. It's, it's fine. It's fun. I enjoy hearing the sound of a guitar tone. That is great more than I probably enjoy sitting around and playing. Like, but if, if hmm. you said, Oh man, don't you want to go do this country gig or whatever? Like, <laughs> I, what does it pay? Cause I would rather play PlayStation or something, you know, I'm yeah. in, I, I don't have a passion for guitar at all. I think it's not. Have you had a passion? Like, is this Uh, a new thing? Not having a passion? Yeah. Yeah. It's, oh, it's a new ish thing. I don't know if it goes back a full decade, but.
1: Is that a sad progression? No. Are you okay with it? No.
0: It's just like not loving something anymore. It's like, it's, I, it's almost like by definition, you're okay with it. You know, Hmm. it's just my, I would, I wouldn't be okay with it if I still had this really strong affection for it. But, but in which case I would be playing it all the time. And, and in reality, I just don't care that much. I haven't, strangely enough until yesterday, if we'd done the, if we had done the, the podcast early yesterday, I could said, I I don't know when the last time I bought a guitar is, but somebody offered me a really great guitar for a ridiculous price. So it's like, okay, well I got to do this, but, um, but even the way my wife and I talked about that was like it's a business decision. I don't need this guitar. I don't. I don't have that much interest in it. Hmm. I, I. I barely own an amp. I barely ever buy pedals. I. Yep. As I'm sitting next, know, next to, to well, but <laughs> a bunch of them that I'm selling. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's just not. It's not a thing. And and you know what drove me really early was this. Really self destructive bent of, I have to be the best, I have to be the best, Mm -hmm. I have to be the best, right? And uh, there, I got off of that hamster wheel just in time for, you know, YouTube to be full of, you know, some 15 year old kid from Brazil who, or like Steve Lukather from the Van Toto said, right now on YouTube, there's a fetus who sounds like Stevie Ray Um, and you know, the, now the monsters are here and, you know, and I think I just do something different from them, which is, which is what I think art should be. I think I do something different. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but
1: did you get to that point though, when you felt like you were the best? No, really? Never. There's another lyric on the album. You and I, it's actually from that
0: same song I quoted earlier, but you and I will always be 12 in our room each unconquered distance driven by a wound. Um, They're pretty dense and perhaps overly verbose lyrics, like using the word verbose in a sentence, you know, like that, that sort of arrogance. Um, But the, uh, yeah, I think my desire to be the best was just some insecurity Hmm. and that's all it was. And, And I think getting over that was really healthy. And now, you know, the guitar yes i don't i don't care much about it probably there's some a little bit of resentment i don't know Hmm. for the thing that i felt like i had i had to be so good at all the time or i or i wasn't valuable you know it's it's there's something way more fundamental that led to that guitar Mm -hmm. um addiction which in my case i mean i think a lot of people just get healthily addicted to guitar because it's it's fun and stuff and that just wasn't my that wasn't my experience. It just wasn't like that. It was a really unhealthy way of trying to achieve some self-worth that I didn't feel already, mm. you know? And so
1: when did you start playing?
0: 1990. <laughs> okay. So it was, it was in my late 12s right before I turned 13. So, so basically in my early thirteens, it's as, okay. as, as, as it was a few months before I turned twelve, uh thirteen.
1: Was your family musical? Your no. parents musical? My my
0: grandfather was uh a really good fiddle player, like old time okay. fiddle player. Yeah. Um and my immediate family is utterly ah musical. No music. Uh my dad didn't even listen to music. It's it was really wow. strange. Yeah, really strange. And I, I think part of the paradigm shift for me also this was years ago, starting to suspect that something was wrong when I realized more and more that my driving force really was me being a guitar player, but I wasn't a huge music fan and knowing that I have to change that and I need to just start listening to music. I need to listen to music all the time and really started digging into catalogs and pestering my friends who are way into indie rock and stuff like what what do you love right now what do you love and uh just voraciously consuming new music Mm. starting then and that was probably 10 or so years ago and uh i think that helped to start to to set the ship right as well it's like me being a guitar player can't be the goal the Mm. image of me being whatever you know can't be the goal i have to love Music. That's what will carry you through. And so now, usually, you know, if I pick up the guitar, it's it, well, it's most of the 90% of the time I'm picking up the guitar for work,
2: hmm.
0: which is a strange thing to say. And 13 year old me, 14, 15 year old me would be very confused at this, at everything I'm about to say. But, but I pick it up because it's my job to pick it up. When I'm at home, I barely touch the thing. Really? And if I'm touching it, it's to hear the sound, just the the tone, or to play with a maybe play with a piece of gear to fiddle with it. Uh, other than that, it's to write. It's hmm. just writing because now it's about the music. It's just about Fantastic Boom for me. That's yeah. that's that's it. That's that is the goal, and and it's strange to have narrowed my professional and artistic lives and down to this one thing. And for that reason, you know, I, I think of all the gigs I do. Not as fantastic, just, just uh just the gigs I do for money. I think of it as a day job. There is a very strict bifurcation in my head between that and me doing art. Hmm. I do not think that well, as long as I'm playing music, then I'm happy or whatever. It's not it's not like that at all. If you if you did offer me a sales job, uh I think it would I don't know, I hopefully I don't lose a bunch of gigs because of saying this, nobody listens to this, right? No one listens. That's, to okay, perfect. Ah, <laughs> uh, here's what I think Let about. It fly. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, there's. I mean, they're fun, you know. I mean, there are definitely gigs where I'm I'm sitting there and thinking, man, this is it's a great hang. I get to play with world class musicians. It's the level of talent in Dallas, Fort Worth is astonishing, mm. and on. Any given gig, I get to play with a new assortment of just some of the best musicians in the world. And that leaves very, very little to complain about about my professional career. Hmm. But that's what it is. It's just that's still my job. I don't think I'm doing my art. Mm-hmm. Which is also why, if, you know, if you say, hey, will you record guitars for my country album now? I mean, over the past five years or whatever, the answer is no. It's just no. I don't do that anymore. Now, when I walk into my studio, it's not a place of commerce. It's not a place where I'm going to do. And I'm sure this has This has you know. This is an an analogy for maybe a thing that would be effective in other enterprises as well. But um, I walk into the studio. It's a sacred place. It's like Mm -hmm. I mean, not literally, but it's a it's a sacred. It's a place that is set apart for. Fantastic boom. And that's it. And I, I walk in and it feels like art can happen here. And it used to not. Hmm. It felt like a very mixed bag. And I, there's something about having a room that is for a thing and you keep it unspoiled. It's very strange. And uh, yeah, maybe that's the thinking behind old church buildings or something. I'm not sure. Mm. It.
1: So, well, I think that that hap- I've seen that happen with a lot of friends of mine that get into a profession that is, uh, something that they have had a passion for, for a long time. I see this with a lot of pilots. I have a lot of friends that are pilots Okay, and they'll get into, uh, you know, the profession of it. They'll start flying commercially for an airline and it's like, they're so juiced about it. This is the thing they've always wanted to do. And then they all hit this point where they're like in the cockpit at 40,000 feet and they're looking down and they're like, this is just a job. Like, yep. how did that happen? Like, I used to love this so much. Mm-hmm. And and I have a lot of friends that have been able to regain that passion by kind of what you're talking about, like separating. Like, I have one buddy who he he now, he recognized that his love of flying was the technicality of it, and he loves teaching it. And so he's been able to fly a few times a month mm-hmm. for his job. And then he has this other part of his job where he's in the sim and he's teaching and he's coaching. And that is, that's his art form. Like he loves, he loves to mold pilots and grow them and and nurture them. And so I think that people that figure that out are at a huge advantage, but I know that it is a very weird place to get to when your passion becomes a job. It's kind of like a, what do I do with this now? Right. Right, which and, for you saying you don't love playing the guitar is crazy to me. because well, like, I know. watching you play so much. Is well,
0: fun. and it's like it's like I'm sure if it can happen to a guitar player, well, then uh, that's just the human condition. Then mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm sure it probably happens to whatever. I mean, whoever says I really want to drive a bus or something. I mean, it's like yeah. I mean, it. I would think that all humans are susceptible to it. I I would love to go do voice acting. I'm sure I'm not qualified to do it. Um. But that sounds like a blast for me. I'm yeah. sure there reaches a point where it's just not what you want to do. I don't know. But mm-hmm. but I think there's something deeply human about whatever this story arc is, you know? Yeah. So,
1: so what's the the new album? Um, when does that one come out?
0: The plan is, I, I would love to just release it as an album because it yeah. it is a coherent statement, cohesive statement. Um, it's coherent. I I don't like mumble through it. Um, it's not gibberish. Uh, but in a month, so uh, three three to four weeks, so either late May or early June, twenty twenty three, uh, the year of our Lord, uh, that I'm gonna release one song per month because that's the way the Spotify algorithm, uh, mm. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Now I've been convinced to capitulate on this one part of my artistic vision, which makes me a total poser. But you know, in eight months, it's an eight song album in seven or eight months, the whole song will be, the whole album will be out forever and ever and ever. Nobody will ever remember, you know, nobody will care or have any idea that I did them one song at a time. And hopefully there'll be, you know, a larger following because of that. But yeah. And it'll be a single statement in eight months. And uh, I I guess I'll take that, but um it the system is very much rigged in a way to favor you if you're putting out singles. Really? At I didn't a, a know that. maximum speed of one per month.
1: Oh, that's max.
0: Yep. And so uh now all the songs are done. They're they're done done. I have oh. them. It the entire waiting part of the process is driving me freaking crazy hmm. you know i just want to put it out um
1: why don't you just put it out then
0: i want someone to hear it
1: i don't so know so is it that significant like it it really drives your songs that much more if you put them out one at a time
0: the numbers apparently are, it's it's quite significant yeah the, oh, okay. the numerical difference hmm. um you know i Yeah, I, it's not the way I want to do it. And, and for whatever reason, it's the one thing I'm willing to bend on. Hmm. Um, and I'm not sure why I've in the past few weeks, I've definitely been tempted to just say, forget it. You know, I'm just here. It all is. And, um, and I know I'm, you know, nobody's going to hear it again and I'll be happy with this many people who actually hear it. Um, and that's that's fine you know i i don't it was fu- it, but it was it was funny every gig that we ever did which is literally six of them culminating in one where we were all adventure time characters and it was a, a the entire thing was an allegory for my relationship with my now wife um so apparently it worked um <laughs> it was worth paying for makeup for people um well, uh every gig we ever did, one person, not two, never two, never three, never more than one, and never zero, one person would come up and talk like I just completely floored them hmm. and 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 I knew that's all I was looking for was I mean I wanted it to be more than one person, of course. But uh, you know, if I, I wanna maximally affect people, and I really don't care about the people I, who are casual listeners. I just I just don't care if they listen to my stuff at all. It's mm-hmm. not a numbers game at mm-hmm. all, except in as much as here is the potential to maximally affect a lot more people. And one of the things I'm noticing, about 20 people have heard the album or parts of the album, and there has not been... Well, no, that, that's not true. There's been one casual response to it um the other ones whereas it was one per gig one person per gig out of out of the entire room now it is that one person who has heard anything of it hasn't spoken in terms of i cried or I mean, really heavy stuff and 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 it, but it's also the way i feel listening to it it's it's a uh, uh it's 33 minutes of of discomfort and Mm. but also absolute certainty every word is right every musical moment is right everything about this is right is a perfect instant musical instantiation of me Hmm. and I and it took forever to get there and I'm sure a better artist could have just gotten there much much quicker um but seeing the way the those 20 19 of the 20 people have reacted uh, where they react in superlatives but, but in emotional superlatives not I really liked it when you went to the four chord here or whatever you know oh, yeah. or, or the, this one guitar sound is really cool or there's not even probably not even that many guitars on the album I don't know but um, uh, feeling like okay this was this was right on this was a direct hit um, I, I think that helps me to think okay I'm I'm willing to capitulate on on just releasing the album on, on releasing the album in in the most artistic way possible. And, uh, and just think, okay, well let's do eight singles, quote unquote. And, uh, and, you know, maybe extend our reach. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens.
1: But then it'll all come together into one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And by the, you know, in eight months, it'll be an album sitting there and 99% of the people who ever hear it long term will, 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 find it as a complete album mm. you know i i would think that most of the people who ever bump into it aren't going to occur in the next eight months i would think i would yeah. hope yeah but we'll see yeah so can you share what it's going to be called uh that which cost me nothing from uh second samuel i think you, the, you know the story does it uh, it's the when um uh, King David is looking for a sacrifice to God. He, he wants to buy, he, he finds a farm or whatever, and he's got a bunch of wheat or something. I forget the details. A bunch of crops or something. And he wants to sacrifice it. He, he, he wants to buy it from the landowner to sacrifice it to God. Um, the landowner, of course, he recognizes it's King David. He's like, no, I can't take your money. Please just take it for free, please. Um and and David says, I won't give I won't offer to God that which cost me nothing. Hmm. And uh the the as is clear from the out what you'll see long term is the album cover. Uh it's a very uh ironic title. Um the implication is the this is about me having been cost every everything about hmm. having uh come through a lot to get to this not musically i mean just it's a it's an album about change it's an album for anybody who's ever needed to change it i, I hate even saying that because i feel like a lot of albums claim to be about this now and they're i i uh just i feel like it's also really not generic i mean the vocabulary is not generic the things that it says within those songs is not gen- generic at all mm-hmm. um and uh so yeah, that's that's the title. I think it's right. There's a certainty about there's a certainty about all the titles, about every lyric. It's like I said. It's I'm I'm sure it's right. I'm sure enough that anyone, I am perfectly comfortable with anyone hating the crap out of it, hmm. just completely thinking it's absolute garbage. I am perfectly content with that.
1: Because you're so okay with it,
0: yeah. It's just I, I, because I'm I'm positive it's exactly the album I want to make. It's exactly I am the first fan of this album. I think every moment of it's right, hmm. and you can think every moment of it's wrong, and I I take that as a difference in uh, opinion. But I you know, don't get me wrong, I you know we're talking about years of me thinking this is wrong this is wrong this is wrong and yeah. just being in agony over it and just never being done until i found the perfect thing or in my estimation the perfect thing but, you know in my estimation the perfect thing i mean that that's a that's code for it sucks you know i'm sure i'm sure i'm sure my taste just isn't very good you know but i love it and i wouldn't say anything differently than what's said in this album and I wouldn't talk about I wouldn't change the topics I wouldn't change the note and it, it took forever and if I were a better musician I'm sure I could have gotten there quickly but um but yeah I you know what would bother me more than somebody hating it uh just be somebody thinking oh yeah it's good you know it's 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 all right hm' treat treating it like a casual thing I don't I don't I don't want it to be taken that way I want it I would way rather it just people break one way or the other. Yeah. And I, I think it's built to do that. I'm pretty sure it's built to to elicit a a more passionate reaction.
1: That's mm. all. What do you hope people get from it?
0: What I said earlier, uh you're we all have a sin problem and at the same time the this world doesn't have the potential to to satisfy you and so you'd better start looking elsewhere.
1: Hmm. Um, do you want people to be hopeful oh yeah oh yeah
0: i mean i don't get into reasons to think that there is hope although i you know i i do think there are very ground very good grounds for thinking specifically that easter happened Hmm. um i don't get into that at all it's not a it's it's still music you know that it's still a harmful, hurtful music. You know, it's not a list of arguments or something, but, yeah. um, but it's at least stating that your nature is doomed to frustration hmm. unless there's something more than this. Hmm. And, you know, much greater minds than mine have said the same thing. And much more, much better funded people have said the same thing. You know, I mean, I said, I'm not rich, much better funded people have said the same thing. Uh, And uh, so I think it's very much following in their footsteps. You Mm. know, so
1: does it feel good to put that music out there and to put those thoughts out there forever?
0: Right now, I only feel that artistically since I'm the only one who has the album. But but
1: or even with your first one.
0: Yeah. 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 And, and I think, you know, I think this one is at least more provocative than the first one for, well, for m- multiple reasons. Not the least of which is this one is more clear than the first one. There, there are parts of the first one where it's like, okay, you would really need the Cracker Jack decoder ring to under, to know what this song is, is actually saying. Hmm. It's so vague. It's, it's so shrouded in imagery. I, there's a song called All of the Above that's a perfect example of that. Which is about what I was saying—that there are no, as I as I as I put it before, spontaneously creative perfections on the earth. That God, it, I mean, it's a claim. I, I don't know this is true for sure. Of course, I, I don't even have good grounds for thinking it necessarily, but but I nevertheless think it is true that you know that that God put the the perfections on this earth are meant to be foretastes of his perfections you know of the ways in which we'll enjoy him and um and that's what the song all of the above is about and good luck coming to that conclusion i think i think it's you know there's not a ton i would change about it but i wasn't as clear a lyric writer and and now i feel like the urgency of what i'm saying has led me to be a little more clear Mm -hmm. um there's still I don't want to ruin any surprises, especially toward the end of the album. Uh, but there's still imagery that very, very much suggest. I mean, there there aren't. Uh, there's a meticulous intentionality to hmm. things on this album, to the non lyrics as well. You know, and um, and th- there's a sort a near almost literalness to the music hmm. that that dovetails with the with the lyrics as well and um i think whereas you know us us there are there's a song on the first album called gabby that i've debated whether to even just re-upload the album without it because it's the peppiest most nearly happy sounding in the catalog it doesn't sound like what fantastic to me it doesn't sound like what fantastic boom is is or is supposed to be in fact the album takes an emotional dive off a cliff after that Hmm. after that song um not compared to this album and this album is just at the bottom of the ravine and in a pile of goo and uh it's it's well off the cliff um but that first album you know gabby is it's about cutting ties with with a a somewhat awful person, and but the song it, it it makes use of of this dichotomy between the music and the lyrics, which which is a cool thing. You know, it's a it's a cool. I, I'm not saying Gabby is uh, that that song is a cool sound. The person's not named Gabby, by the way. Um, <laughs> that would be quite. But odd. although the it's funny the <laughs> the person who. Prompted me to write this sort of poppy song was one of my students at the really? place that used to go. Her name was Gabby, and she was like, "Hey, write a song about me." And I was like, "Okay." And I just, I just used the word Gabby, and then blah 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 blah, like la 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 la, just just you know syllables, yeah. that with no words. But I, but just showing her writing a melody and chords at the same time. That was mm-hmm. that was the lesson, right? So I said, and I sang it, and I and I was like, actually, that was okay. So we videoed it, and uh, later listening for more songs listening back through my videos for my phone videos for more songs I was like, actually this one's okay let's let's write write this one out but um it ended up being not about that student i mean it's not remotely about that student but but she did prompt it and the reason it's called gabby's because it, it fit there but um but you know there are some really cool albums that have that sort of dichotomy where the music seems to be saying something different than the lyrics there's the the passion pit what's that album called the purplish one the one that the passion pit album that people actually that people heard uh there was a big song off of it um uh that sounds like a quite a happy album and then you read the lyrics it's like whoa wait a minute this is not at all happy and it's it's an interesting mechanism uh to make that dichotomy and it's one that actually now I have no interest in using. Mm. And this album doesn't do that at all. Gabby kind of does it, mm. um, and yeah, that's I think why I don't. If there is a song in my catalog that's like this, I wouldn't really mourn the loss of it. It would be it would be Gabby because it doesn't taste right. Mm. It just doesn't. It just doesn't taste right. Even though I, I think it's a fine song. I think the lyrics more or less more or less taste right, but although even you know even the topic of that and of that song is probably more generic than hmm. even though it's about getting it, getting away from someone, it's still there are so many songs about
1: that as well and um but it probably fits together though because it's, the whole album is your experiences, sure, so that's part of the story sure
0: line. yeah, of course, of course.
1: Yeah, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a loss. I, you know,
0: I, my friends convinced me to not, Not to please just let, drop this and let it go. And, and okay, cool. Yeah. But it's, you know, the, the new album is about way more idiosyncratic takes on things, I think, than, than Gabby, which is about, you know, getting, like I said, getting away from someone. Uh, I think the songs on the new album are, are, it it is probably a false claim to some extent but i think there aren't songs about some of these yeah about some of these things so there's a song called uh all of anything uh that's about changing but it's a it's about uh you know going back to my first uh philosophy of science lecture that i that i was in which just blew me away. got me passionate about that topic. Um, shortly after it, I got into an author named boss von Frossen, who is, a, a one of the most accomplished, what we call scientific anti-realists who, who basically think that scientific theories, which are more or less descriptions of un, the unobservable world that are meant to account for, uh, the phenomena that we do, that we can observe. Um, that in his view, scientific theories, that one is never justified in believing what they say about unobservable entities, right? Um, Which is, it's a very robust form of anti-realism. It's a very skeptical stance, but also one that I was generally uh, 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 sympathetic with. And uh, it's a way I treated theories for years and still somewhat do, but also in this time when I knew I needed to change, I needed to be someone different or I was never going to be happy um, that, uh or even, you know, uh, approximately happy um, the, uh, the search for, okay, I act the following way. What event in my past accounted for this? Cause I figured that was a good way to, you know to get better i'm sure that's the mm-hmm. way most people do it and uh and knowing full well and just thinking this very explicitly at the time that i actually don't care which one which event it actually is i care about what is uh, uh empirically adequate is the term in philosophy of science people can't hear can't, if i do the air quotes really hard next to the <laughs> mic you could hear the air quotes um but I, I only care, you know, if I get the wrong theory about what what event in my past caused me to go awry. Um, but it works, cool. That's a, that's a true scientific anti-realist, and yet I was applying it to psychology and my own need to change. And so, uh, so the lyrics are very ex- explicitly about that. But I'm quite sure there hasn't been a song about about scientific anti-realism as it applies to changing and and i'm also quite sure at least for me that song hurts like crazy it's not it doesn't i don't think this any part of the album feels clinical it certainly to me it doesn't you know it's still it's just a very hurtful song Hmm. it's just it's put in the way that i think about things it's that's what i mean by it's utterly autobiographical it's just it couldn't be more me it's the most it's the nerdy way i think of things the nerdy categories in which i think of things and the only categories in which i really tend to think of things um uh and there are songs about it you know songs about things that are
1: actually vitally important and pragmatically important. so hmm. It's like your operating system. Like yep. it's the lens that you look at things through.
0: Yep. There is a North Texas songwriter named Josh T. Pearson. And um, I met him. He has an album called Last of the Country Gentleman. And I had never heard the album. I didn't know anything about him the day I met him. And when I met him, he just sat there and asked me questions about me. But the whole time I was mesmerized by this person. Just even the way he was asking questions, it was something about him that just felt so heavy to me. And um, and even when we ended the conversation, the mutual friend of ours looked at me and he was just like, you were in Josh Pearson world. And I was like, I know, right? What was that? What? It, why was I in this place? And just meeting this person who was really heavy and then – after i left that place i started listening to that album and oh my gosh it's a brutal embarrassing album Hmm. the things he talks about and it's so heavy and that was the day i got it Hmm. that was the day i got it it's not that he he is not great in fact josh t pearson i that's that's who i need to reach out to and thank for if if this album is this it is because of meeting josh t pearson it was the decision that he is not a great songwriter. This album is not heavy because he is just such a transcendent, amazing songwriter, although he may be. But he is such an amazing, transcendent songwriter. And this album is so amazing because he is a a, a, a transparent songwriter. Hmm. He is instantiating himself in these songs. And because I met him first and I know he's heavy. And this album was so heavy. And that's when I got it. Be heavy. Be heavy. And then learn to write transparently. Don't learn to write heavy. Don't learn to per- do these immaculate portrayals of some character or whatever. It's just, it's just. And you know what? If you're not heavy, if your experiences are rather banal or whatever, then write about that. But write transparently. The the best art is maximally vulnerable. It is maximally autobiographical. It is maximally the thing you know. And I think the very best art is maximally embarrassing. If that's what your story is, and that's I and for me, that's what this album is. It's, it's embarrassing, but. And so is that that Josh T. Pearson album. It's like you're embarrassed for him listening to some of it. It's, hmm. it's it's so heavy, and and the lyrics are just so brutal. Like I said, um, anyway, yeah. I think I think that was a very seminal
1: moment for me was was meeting him and then hearing him. Right. It gave you a lot of respect for him.
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. But but in a I think in a way that you know that I don't have for for people for most artists that, mm. who who are otherwise great but most artists are great at writing a story or portraying a character mm. and i and that's not enough for me mm-hmm. it's it's just it's it's not I, I and i mean that as a listener that's not enough for me as a listener as a listener i really what I'm really looking for is something to absolutely floor me, something that is an emotional commitment to listen to. My mm. my favorite piece of music ever, which by the way is about a character, which which is fine. It's just so heavy. It's uh E is for a Strange by Owen Pallet. It's absolutely brutal. It is a it's a it's I I come to it and some other pieces like, okay, do if I'm going to listen to this, I'm going to feel differently for the next couple of hours or so, or maybe just 30 minutes. Who knows? But uh, that, that feeling certainly wanes over time. The more you've heard it, I think, but um, the, the more familiarity uh, creeps in, but, um, but that's it. Uh, it's the, the best art for me is an emotional commitment. It's a, it, that, that extends after the album is over. Do I want to feel this way for the next, however much amount uh, however long amount of time Um, and that's that's the album I wanted to make and Hmm. for me it certainly is that
1: that's so cool Hmm. do you think that you'll write other albums after this one
0: I don't know I think about that a lot Hmm. because this one I had to make I had to do it there was an absolute internal compulsion and I don't feel that right now Hmm. I don't feel that way about an album three Uh, the thought of starting a new thing a new album the knowing the way knowing how miserable i am and how you singularly obsessed i am with whatever little part i'm working on um is it's i i really just don't want to do that right now and mm-hmm. and also i don't want, I, I never want to make an album that i because i feel like i should make an album yeah. i don't want to do that i'd rather I'd rather just wait. I'd rather my catalog my catalog mean something and be maximally good than uh to have just kept some commercial thing going. I, I I don't want a single I don't want that at all. I
1: don't want a single bit of that.
0: So, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know.
1: I like that. We'll I mean, we'll see. Writing it when you feel like you have to. When I have to. Yeah. Like I, until
0: it's compulsion words. I won't I won't do it. So, I have things to I have things to talk about. I do still collect lyrics. I still collect, you know, if I play something or think of something that sounds great, then I'll record stuff. So I do have tons of videos um, of, of song ideas, tons of lyrics, of things I want to say. But what I don't have is that feeling of I am compelled to do this. And I had that with album one. I very much had that with album two. And mm-hmm. I I just am not in that place right now. So as far as I know, the next thing is just doing live Fantastic Boom. Because I am hooked on what we sound like live right now. Which yeah. we, we haven't even done a gig yet. But, um I'm I'm really hooked on that that sound and I'm pretty sure that album 3 will sound like that which is strange cuz album is not even out and we're we're doing we we're practicing the songs in a way that sounds quite different from the way they sound on that and that's yeah. fine I have no I've never wanted to recreate an album live Yeah I resent mm-hmm. that When I go to really? a concert Yeah I mean when you go to a concert and it sounds just like the album
1: hmm I kind of like that. Really? <laughs> I mean, that's just me. Like sometimes for me, like I'll go to a concert and they, it sounds completely different than it does on the album. Yeah. And like, I fell in love with that song because of what it sounded like on the album. And okay. So sometimes like when they just completely go off the, off whatever, mm-hmm. it's some, just for me, sometimes it's disappointing. I get it. I get it. But that's I, yeah, just I how think that's, my musical brain works. Right, like, right, I want, it, I want it to be replicated. I just want to see you do it for real. I, I think this is a subjective
0: difference. I don't think yeah. there's anything objectively better about you know wanting it to be different. I just, right. I mean, going and seeing, I, I guess I shouldn't name names, but just some acts when it's like, okay, clearly they're just using Ableton. They're using a laptop and there's a couple of them up there. You know, I mean, it's a, a group that I mentioned earlier in a very positive light. Seeing them live was a big disappointment because mm. I, I don't want to go hear the album, hear you play the album, and I definitely don't want to go hear hear you play the album along with the album.
1: Mm. Yeah,
0: you know, now you've got a bunch of tracks filling in and stuff. I have no interest in that. It's a waste of waste of money and waste of time. Well, one one thing that was really surprising, a wonderful surprise to me was, uh, have you checked out Sylvanesso? No, like, that's that is if I had to, if somebody said, all right, pick a pop group right now, you're down to one pop act or pop artist right now. That's it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, Billy Irish has one amazing act. or I mean, old Peter Gabriel, whatever. This is a desert Island thing. You know, it, it's, it's so rare. I think that an artist comes along and shows you that pop isn't the problem. Uh, the, the genre isn't to blame. It's the people who make pop that's the problem. So Prince, Peter Gabriel, that one Billy Eilish album, um, and then Sylvanesso. I mean, it's very much indie pop. It's it doesn't at all. It, I would say indie. There's something, you know, it it's it is very subtle. It's filled with subtleties, which to me is the hallmark of indie. Now that it ceased to mean anything about the actual business, right? You know, independent labels, it doesn't mean that anymore. But when we say indie pop, indie indie whatever as a genre, there's, I think, usually a, sub, a rejection of of cheesiness you mm-hmm. know, of cheese, and uh, and so in that sense, so I I don't mean at all that Sylvanesso is pop in a pejorative way because I think in you know. Every once in a while, like I said, you see that pop, there's nothing remotely wrong with pop. Pop can be amazing. I mean that I think that the black Billy Eilish album, uh, When We Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go, I think that is dang near a pop masterpiece. I think I think it's pretty much perfection. And then that newer album, it just sounds more like the suits got in the room. And I mean there's some there's some nice parts, but it's not
1: Important. It wasn't how it used to be where they like recorded it in the bedroom where they it She's sounds like they didn't care
0: what anybody was going to think about it. Yes. And, and she wrote again, straight. There's from her exactly. their own head. Exactly. Yeah. And and that key and Peele sketch where the where they're going to make gremlins, too. And the guy from the guy, the suit comes down and says, OK, here's all the the new gremlins we need to introduce because basically he wants to sell merchandise, you know, <laughs> right. and uh, the suits can't make art. They just can't do it. Because because they are obsessed. This is bringing it full circle. They are obsessed to the point of test marketing things with what people will like. Mm. And great art cannot be made under that auspice. And, and there has to be... I, I would say one, one, one thing is there has to be a screw my audience moment. Screw what they they want. I'm going to make... I'm going to make the thing that I maximally want. And I I very much, the guy who first really planted this seed is a a guitar player named David torn uh, in a conversation. When I first started the instrumental album of all things Hmm. that never came to fruition because I don't have any interest interest in doing it. Um, He said, just, just make the album you want to hear. And he was so right about it. And, and that I think is the first guide. It's it's screw my audience. And then, but I think really where something transcendent can come is screw my heroes. Do we say that on your podcast? You screw, can say that. All, all right. All right. Uh, can I say uh, Mittens? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, oh, there's a second very stealth Simpsons reference. Um, <laughs> there's really a stretch um screw what radiohead would do screw what whoever would do you know i mean if you're in indie rock you you have to kill your heroes you it, mm-hmm. what one of the things that has been i think i mean this is a controversial take uh, um but you said no one was listening and i'm you know it's not a big guitar podcast but i think hero worship in the guitar community has has stifled progress. I think it's stifled progress in art. I mean, sorry, in rock music. I think it, uh, I'm not getting, I don't want to get too specific. I don't want to name names and stuff, but, but, but there is, uh, this, this very unhealthy for art looking to the past and reverence for the past that, that I, I think a certain amount of reverence is great. Yeah. But what, a given artist would do as a guide for what I would do. I mean, until you grow out of that, I, I think you won't make something transcendent. Now, once you grow out of that, you're probably still not going to make something transcendent. And I'm certainly not claiming I've made something transcendent. Uh, uh, I, nobody's listening, right? I think it is. I think it's right. I think it's exactly right. But again, it's just geared to what it is. I want to hear. I think, It's exactly right. But if I wouldn't feel that way, and again, everybody else is going to hate it. Great. Perfect. I have no problem with that. But I never would have gotten to the most maximally me thing if I were still asking what would so-and-so do. Screw so-and-so. Yeah. Screw them. Screw what anybody else would do. You're not going to be who you're not going to be an important part of the musical landscape, important part of the musical landscape until you've killed your heroes.
1: Well, what popular famous person has become a huge success doing exactly what a former group did? I think I'm sure there's a but I
0: mean, what kind of success? I mean, I'm, I'm speaking of artistic success. That's
1: what I mean. I mean, well, but it happens in business too. Like they're, it it's it's rare when you find someone that just copies someone really and then really takes off which i think it's the same in music okay. it's like there's not i think it's more imperative in any art or i maybe i just don't
0: understand business very well but
1: well i just i got rid of the youtube app and stopped listening to so many podcasts and stopped reading so many books Because I just realized that like I had so much data coming into my head. I had so many mentors, so many pieces of advice that I was like, oh, I need to be doing this thing. I need to do this. Oh, this is a great topic. That I couldn't actually even figure out what I wanted or what I was thinking. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And so I just got to this point to where I was like, okay, I have to eliminate all that. Like I'll read, but at a minimal level and I'll really make sure that this is – a book that's quality and worth reading and if it sucks within the first however many pages I'm going to put it down. Yeah. But then once I finished it I'm going to actually try and plug these things into my life. Right. And use it. Whereas before I was just like taking in all this information that it was almost like it just kind of fell out the other ear. I get it. I get Um, it. But to bring it back to the, the musical thing it's like I think that a lot of artists have a hard time I'm sure and I'm not a musical artist by any means but it seems like a lot of them have a hard time because they're trying to copy a hero from the past Mm -hmm. when it's like that was their sound right that was their thing absolutely
0: and i think you know everyone gets where they're go even the people who eventually kill their heroes they had them you know and and lean very heavily on them i I think they serve the function of sort of north stars you Mm. know you you row your boat in a certain direction because you're obsessed with so and so for a bit. Um every every remotely accomplished guitar player can tell you who their heroes were at any given time, mm-hmm. you know. And uh and so and then, you know, you encounter something and all of a sudden this new artist becomes your north star and then you go and and um I but I also think, you know, I think Most art that's really good is made under that rubric, you know, of of what would my hero do in some loose sense? You know, Mm -hmm. I just I just think the the people we point to as stylistic touchstones didn't do that, or at least to the same the same extent, Mm -hmm. you know, or or they all did it up to a point. I think they 100 percent all did it. But then they got to a point where they didn't care. Now, I mean, strangely enough, on you know, on one of the songs on this album, I do a uh, a song that's intentionally an homage to this uh, to this Talk Talk song called New Grass. And it's an homage in that, first of all, I I adore that piece of music, and so what we did was we tried to get that drum sound we used that drum part. We used upright bass, uh, acoustic bass, like, like that track does. But then there's an utterly new song, utterly, right. utterly new topic, utterly, utterly new everything after that. But, um, in that sense, in a limited capacity with a view toward a very specific goal, mm. we said, how can we do exactly their drum sound? How can we do it? But it's, it's meant to draw your attention to this piece as an homage. Um, but other than that you know i i there is something about this guy mark hollis the guy that led talk talk that seems like absolutely a a mentality i want to i want to model myself after so in that sense there's not a kill your heroes moment there's a, there is a, a a in a very similar sense to radiohead deciding to not make a rock album and then by the way lucking into more success um but clearly disregarding the success in making the album uh but um uh, talk talk they made some really fantastic pop albums mm. and um then one day when it came time to make their new album they were apparently afforded the money and especially the leeway to make this album without any label oversight at which point they proceeded to take up basically a whole year of spending tons of label money making a, a amazing piece of art that was doomed to have no, uh, no commercial success. Hmm. His willing Mark Hollis's willingness to do that was is I think that was a that's a big influence on me. And also uh, his willingness to just retreat and uh, live a life of seclusion. And, and the, uh, a biography came out on him la- last year called A More Perfect Silence or A Perfect Silence or something like that. And, and uh, I think it's a sort of double entendre. Uh, it's not just that he is, you know, it's a reference to his uh, uh, sec- increasing seclusion over time and just living a civilian life away from anybody bothering him and away from the music industry. But, uh, but also because his recordings became more and more quiet as they went and a greater command of subtlety, uh, it seems to me an increased desire to want to hurt his audience into something more important, you know, to provoke them to change and, 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 you know, and I, I never get to talk to him, uh, but I, maybe that last part isn't at all what he had in mind, but, but I will say the albums just feel heavier and heavier and heavier. And, or the, the, the final two albums are very much like what I said. And they, the last of the talk talk albums feels very heavy. I mean, it feels like the heaviest thing and new grass is on it uh the one i mentioned and then he put out a solo album that is extremely quiet it's extremely heavy there's a very great weight to quiet the the way that if i sorry i've been talking for a while if you got something to interject it probably makes for a better radio to copy a hero is to play a character right
1: yeah it's not you which is
0: the opposite of transcendent art
1: yeah 100 percent. yeah and and people that try so hard. And it's that you, you recognize it, right? Like people that are trying so hard to create yes. transcendent art or yes. to tr- create something amazing. Yes. And it's so obvious. It's like when a kid breaks a toy. It's like the world has ended and you just pop the wheel back on them and they're like, Oh. Like it was so simple for you to see. Yeah. People like that, it's like if you just stop trying to become that person.
0: And and, and the other the thing, thing. Yeah. Go no, ahead. go ahead.
1: And become or you know, create something that Um, you think needs to be heard or you think is what it's supposed to be rather than what you actually want to put out there. Right,
0: right. And I think a, a very similar parallel consideration is that, at least in art, that feeling of... I, want, I better make this more obvious to make sure more my audience gets it. And that is a total trap. That's actually, I think, what we mean by cheese. As I think about what cheese actually is, I think it's making your point more obvious than necessary. Mm. And I think the best
1: art... Well, that's what country music is. That's
0: what pop music Blatantly in general is.
1: obvious. Yes. Like, if you take all the music out of country music, it's hilarious. Yeah. There's no obscurity
0: and the the reason you can point to country music is because it's kind of almost all of it is cheesy pop it's it where is the really i mean i know there is some but where's the really great uh country music that made by artists who don't care if they sell a ton of records i'm i sure i know they exist I'm sure it's out there but yeah. yeah and you know jason you know. isbell is probably something like that or whatever yeah. you know great storyteller you know like um but but i sure don't know many more artists like that you know yeah. where, where it's 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 just country is such a pop machine not just the nashville stuff i i'm not i, don't, I mean if i start talking about texas and oklahoma country i could be out of some money gigs so i think it's all amazing <laughs> every bit of it is amazing you so, love it all yeah um but yeah that that but we see that with movies i mean i mean every art is like that i mean you can yeah. tell when they're trying to make sure the less observant people in the room get the point and i think that is a complete artistic trap and i'm willing for nobody to get anything and if if it just now it happens to be, I think pretty clear, but um, the willingness for people to just not catch on is fine. I think, I think speaking with some subtlety and just commanding subtlety is, is what makes great art. Yeah. And it's why almost nothing on the radio is great art. There's no subtlety. It's just making sure you get it making yeah. sure you're it. it's like those hard Absolutely. rock bands like, can we make the kick drum even heavier and the guitars even lower and blah 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 and right and it's just and the singer is like yeah you know it's that's not emotional it doesn't strike anybody as a. Emo- I mean, right. i think it does I, I think maybe i think there's an iq correlation with it to be honest i mean get into another theory of mine that's not very well researched but that it's anyway
1: There's a quote that I love that says, powerful people impress and intimidate by saying less. Say it one more time. Powerful people impress and intimidate and intimidate by saying less. There's a Nietzsche quote, or so I've
0: been told, I've only read the Genealogy of Morals, um, but it's a quote I've heard, or I read once and there was no citation, which upset me. And I, and you know, this is how i into Nietzsche. I am. I have never gone and actually even Googled it. So I have no idea where it is or if he said it. Um, it could have been MC Scat Cat who said it for all, for all I know. Just, you know that reference? <laughs> no. Okay. All right. All right. I just, I, I just tried to go really cause obscure. Because I
1: yeah. imagine it's the most obscure reference.
0: It was the cartoon cat who sang along with
1: Paula Abdul back in her. Okay. That's how. That's how obscure that reference is. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Amazing your speed to pull that kind of reference out of the air. <laughs> I
0: probably used MC Scat Cat more <laughs> times than I'm willing to, as a reference, more times than I'm willing to uh, admit. Yeah, that that quote is, what you just said, is very similar to a quote Nietzsche says, which I think is exactly right on. It's exactly right on. And, and I get to talk with, for whatever reason, I get to talk with a, a lot of young philosophy students, it seems like. Hmm. And... I feel like I have good grounds for thinking who's good and who's not mm. at it by how clear they can be. Nietzsche mm-hmm. and it's not because Nietzsche said this it's because it's true what Nietzsche said that the person who knows who wants to sound profound tries to sound tries to be obscure. And
1: the mm-hmm. person
0: who knows himself to be profound tries to be clear. And I think that's right on. And when I talk to young philosophy now now that that has a a strange that's a strange bedfellow with uh with poetry or with lyric writing because I think by definition there's a sort of hiding of what it is you're saying you don't you don't usually come out and say things quite so literally um, but I think it does apply there as well but um so when I talk to young philosophy students and I feel like I can get a pretty good idea really early on whether they're Very, they have a very clear conception of what they're telling me about. Mm, Yeah. And often they, I'm quite sure they don't. Right. That some of these terms are sort of pseudo understood and they're sort of black boxes in their head. And if I push them on it, that they might
1: not, it might fall apart. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm, yes. I'm, well, in some cases, yeah. I've gone ahead and pushed the, and it was a house of cards after all. But other ones, you know. I think you should be. I think the best philosophers, because these are who I read for whatever reason. um, uh, The the best philosophers are actually quite clear. I mean, now you, there are nineteenth century German philosophers who are just notoriously difficult, and uh, that that may be because they're just dealing with a a idiosyncratic. vocabulary and set of term uh set of concepts and and they i you know i'm sure they're still great it doesn't have to be clear to everyone
2: mm-hmm.
0: but there is an endeavor to make sure the listener um not a, not necessarily an endeavor i'm not saying you wouldn't go over someone's head lyrically uh but but at least um you're not trying to utterly hide it or or, I mean it's different again like I said it's different with lyrics because there is a a veiling as Sting once said Um, but if I'm doing philosophy I'm trying to be extremely clear and I should be able to translate whatever categories and uh, concepts I'm talking about into whatever parlance you use you know if even if it's that is a language which is probably really unclear
1: but you know i mean i know exactly what you mean like it's it's clear when people are um using really big words and really long sentences in order to give the illusion that they really know what they're talking about right and then you see a lot of these people in debates yes like especially like you know, political debates, like college students arguing (laughs) with people and then whoever's up there just starts to poke at it. And like the whole thing falls apart, like what you're talking about. And it's like, you know, clarity about what you're talking about is so important. And it's important to just speak clearly, like say it in as few words as possible. Like that's a big sales thing. Like you're going to completely confuse the customer and you're going to outsell yourself. Like you're going to, you're going to unsell the deal, right? Just. Speak as clearly as you can, and as few of words as you possibly can, to where it makes sense.
0: And I think if if the I think it's fine to use big words. I mean, I think it's great. I it, think it's fantastic. I think I think you use a the vocabulary that you use. I mean, I just talk, and I'm just happen to be a dork, and sometimes I'll <laughs> use a word that that isn't is maybe isn't common, but no, but but it is. but if someone were to say, "What do you mean by that?" I'm really confident whatever it is I just said, I could I could translate into whatever other uh, set of terms that that I know that, you know,
1: there's a difference, though, in using big words, which I love. Like, I like it Mm -hmm. when I'm talking like I enjoy talking to you because you have a big vocabulary and like you use words that are descriptive that many would not use. Like, I enjoy talking to people like that, but I think we're talking about people that yep. will use these long sentences, uh, completely beat around the bush, right. and within 30 seconds, you're like, they don't actually know what they're talking about. Right, right, right,
0: right. Can can you rephrase that? Can you rephrase? it? I would think you should be able to, if someone were to challenge you on whatever thing you're talking about, can you rephrase that? You should be able to do that many, many times over.
1: One of my favorite questions is, what do you mean by that? Like I love to just ask that after yeah. a long sentence. What do yeah. you tell me? Tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, and sometimes it really stymies people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, which is always interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Hmm. Um. Well, listen, we could talk for hours, but we're over two now. Really? Yep.
0: It didn't seem like that it except to quite. anyone listening.
1: Um, but Mark Cuthbertson, fantastic boom. You can find him on uh, Spotify, iTunes. Instagram, but thank you for doing this. I I love your brain. I love you, brother. This is I, I love
0: you too. And anything you ever
1: want. So Oh well this is yeah. so much fun. It's yeah. good to Oh for me it's too. It's just great to hang out with you. Yeah, you too. All right.